The Joyous Story of Toto by Laura E. Richards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. Chapter 4 Born in Africa. I was born, said the parrot, in Africa. It was a lovely afternoon, and Toto's friends were once again assembled around the cottage door. The parrot, as the storyteller of the day, was perched in great state on the high back of an old-fashioned easy chair, which Toto had brought out for his grandmother. The old lady sat quietly knitting, with Bruin on one side of her and Coon on the other, while Toto lay on the grass at her feet, alternately caressing the wood pigeon and poking the woodchuck to wake him up. When the parrot said, I was born in Africa, all the animals looked very wise, but said nothing, so she added, Of course, you all know where Africa is. Of course, said the raccoon hastily. Certainly, I should hope so. We know where it is. If you come to that, we know where it is. Coon, said Toto, laughing. What a humbug you are. How is Africa bounded, old fellow? Tell us, if you know so well. North by the Gulf States, south by Kalamazoo, east by Mount Everest, and west by the Straits of Frangipani, replied the raccoon, without a moment's hesitation. Miss Mary looked much disgusted. Africa, she said, as every person of education knows, with a withering glance at the raccoon, is the exact center of the universe. It is the most beautiful of all lands, a land of palm trees and crocodiles, ivory and gold dust, sunny fountains, and— Oh, cried Toto eagerly, excuse me for interrupting, Miss Mary, but are the sands really golden? Where's Africa's sunny fountains, you know, roll down their golden sands? Is that really true? Certainly, replied Miss Mary. Dear me, yes. A fountain wouldn't be called a fountain in Africa if it hadn't golden sands. It would be called a cucumber-wood pump, suggested the woodchuck drowsily. Toto, said the parrot sharply, if I am interrupted any more, I shall go home. Will that woodchuck be quiet, or will he not? He will, he will, cried Toto. We will all be very quiet, Miss Mary, and not say a word. Pray, go on. Miss Mary smoothed her feathers, which had become quite ruffled, and continued. I was not a common wild parrot, I should think not indeed. My mother came of a distinguished family, and was the favorite bird of the great Bagabahoo, king of Central Africa, and I, as soon as I was fully fledged, became the pet and darling of his only daughter, the Princess Polpetti. Ah, happy indeed, were the first years of my life. I was the princess's constant companion. She used to make songs in my honor and sing them to her royal father while he drank his rum and water. They were lovely songs. Would you like to hear one of them? All the company declared that it was the one desire of their hearts. So, clearing her throat and cocking her head on one side, Miss Mary sang, Cham, 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 kickery-boo, fairest fowl that ever grew, fairest fowl that ever growed, how you brighten my abode, how you ornament the view, cham, 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 kickery-boo. 
Cham, 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 kickery boo. You have wit and beauty too. You can dance and you can sing. You can tie a pudding string. Is there aught you cannot do? Cham, 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 kickery boo. That was her opinion of my merits, continued the parrot modestly. Indeed, it was the general opinion. As I was saying, I was the princess's constant companion. All day I hung about her, sitting on her shoulder or flying about her head. All night I slept perched on her nose-ring, which she always hung upon a hook when she went to bed. Ah, that nose-ring! I wish I had never seen it. It was the cause of all my misfortunes, of my lovely princess's death and my own exile. And yet it was a lovely thing in itself. I observe, madam, continued the parrot, addressing the grandmother, that you wear no nose-ring. Such a pity! There is no ornament so becoming. In Africa it is a most important article of dress. I may say the most important. Can I not persuade you to try the effect? Thank you, replied the grandmother, smiling. I fear I am too old, Miss Mary, even if it were the custom in this country to wear nose-rings, which I believe it is not. But how was the princess's nose-ring the cause of your misfortunes? Pray, tell us. The parrot looked sadly at the grandmother's nose, and shook her head. Such a pity, she repeated. It would be so becoming. You would never regret it. However, she added, you shall hear the rest of my sad story. The princess's nose-ring was, as you may infer from the fact of my being able to swing in it, a very large one. She was a connoisseur in nose-rings, and had a large collection of them, of which collection this was the gem. It was of beaten gold, encrusted with precious stones. No other nose in the kingdom would have sustained such a weight, but hers, ah, hers was a nose in a thousand. Pardon me, said the raccoon softly. Do I understand that a long nose is considered a beauty in Africa? It is indeed, replied the parrot. It is indeed. You would be much admired in Africa, Mr. Coon. The raccoon looked sideways at his sharp-pointed nose and stroked it complacently. Ah, he observed, I agree with you, Miss Mary, as to Africa being the center of the earth. Pray go on. I need hardly say, continued the parrot, that the jeweled nose-ring was the envy of all the other princesses for miles around. Foremost among the envious ones was the Princess Panka, the daughter of a neighboring king. She never could have worn the nose-ring. Her nose was less than half an inch long, and she was altogether hideous. But she wanted it, and she made up her mind to get it by foul means, if fair ones would not do. Accordingly, she bribed the princess's boggin. "'The princess's what?' asked the bear. "'Boggin,' repeated the parrot testily. "'The princess's boggin. Don't tell me you don't know what a boggin is.' "'Well, I don't,' replied sturdy Bruin. "'And what's more, I don't believe anyone else does.' The parrot looked around, but as no one seemed inclined to give any information respecting boggins, she continued. "'The boggin is a kind of lizard 
found only on the island of Bogan Chunka. It is about five feet long, of a brilliant green color. It invariably holds the end of its tail in its mouth, and moves by rolling, while in this position, like a child's hoop. In fact, it is used as a hoop by African children, hence the term bogan. It feeds on the chunka, a triangular yellow beetle found in the same locality, hence the name of the island, bogan chunka. The bogan is a treacherous animal, as I have found to my cost. The one belonging to my mistress was a very beautiful creature, and much beloved by her. Yet he betrayed her in the basest manner, as you shall hear. The Princess Panka, finding that the Bogan was very fond of molasses candy, bribed him by the offer of three pounds of that condiment to deliver the princess into her hands. The plot was arranged, and the day set. On that day, as usual, the Bogan rolled up to the door after dinner, and the princess, taking me on her shoulder, went out for her usual afternoon play. She caressed the Bogan. Ah, faithless wretch, how could he bear the touch of that gentle hand? And then struck him lightly with her silver hoop-stick. He rolled swiftly away, and we followed, Paul Petty bounding as lightly as a deer, while I sat upon her shoulder, undisturbed by the rapid motion. Away rolled the Bogan, away and away, over the meadows and into the forest. Away and away bounded the princess in pursuit. The golden nose-ring flashed and glittered in the sunlight. The golden bangles on her wrists and ankles tinkled and rang their tiny bells as she went. Faster and faster, faster and faster, the monkeys, swinging by their tails from the branches, chattered with astonishment at us. The wild parrots screamed at us. All the birds sang and chirped and twittered. Come, come, twiddle-dee-dum, see, see, twiddle-dee-dee, hi, hi, kickery-kai, they have no wings, and yet they fly. And truly, we did seem to fly, so swift was our motion. At length I became alarmed, and begged the princess to turn back. She had never before gone so far into the forest unattended, I told her, and there was no knowing what dangers might lurk in its leafy depths but alas she was much too excited to listen to my remonstrances on and on rolled the treacherous bogan and on and on she bounded in pursuit suddenly as we were skimming across an open glade a sharp twang was heard i saw a white flash in the air and the next moment i was hurled violently to the ground recovering myself in an instant I saw my lovely princess stretched lifeless on the ground, with an arrow quivering in her heart. At the same moment the bogum stopped, and out from the surrounding coppice rushed the princess Panka and her attendants. "'Where is my molasses candy?' asked the bogum. Three of the attendants presented him with three one-pound packages, and thus, in a moment, I understood the whole villainous plot." The princess Panka rushed to where Paul Petty lay, and snatched the golden nose-ring from her lovely nose. Fastening it in her own hideous snub, she sprang to her feet with a shrill yell of triumph. At last, she cried, at last, I have it! Hideous witch, I exclaimed, you have no nose to wear it in. You are uglier than the blue-faced monkey, or the toad with three tails. The very sight of you makes the leaves drop off the trees with horror. 
you odious, squint-eyed! Catch that parrot! shrieked the enraged Panka. Wring that parrot's neck! Pull his feathers out! Let me get at him! I rose in the air, and flying around her head continued. Snub-nosed, monkey-faced, bald-headed! This adjective was not exactly correct, but I was too angry to choose my words. Humpbacked ant-eater! And with the last word, the most opprobrious epithet that can be applied to an African, I gave the creature a peck in the face that sent her tumbling over backwards and flew off among the trees. A storm of arrows followed me, but I escaped unhurt, and flying rapidly, was soon far away from the spot. Here the parrot paused to take a breath, having become quite excited in telling her story. "'Ahem,' said the woodchuck. "'May I be permitted to ask a question, Miss Mary?' "'Certainly,' replied the parrot graciously. "'What is it, woodchuck?' "'Did I understand?' said the woodchuck cautiously. "'That the bogan never takes his tail out of his mouth?' "'Never,' replied the parrot. "'Never upon any occasion.' "'Then how?' asked Chucky. "'Did he eat the molasses candy?' "'Woodchuck,' said the parrot with great severity, "'the question does credit neither to your head nor to your heart. "'I decline to answer it.' The woodchuck looked sulky and scratched his nose expressively. The raccoon, who had been on the point of asking the same question himself, frowned at him and said he was ashamed of him. "'Pray continue your story, Miss Mary,' said he. "'I assure you we are all, with perhaps one exception,' the woodchuck sniffed audibly, "'quite faint with excitement and suspense. What became of you after the princess's death?' "'I remained in the forest,' said the parrot. "'I could not go back to the village without the princess. "'The king would have had me put to death if I had made my appearance. "'For some time I lived alone, "'associating as little as possible with the uneducated birds of the forest. "'At length, finding my life very solitary, "'I accepted the claw and heart of a rich and respectable green parrot.' who offered me a good home and the devotion of a lifetime. With him I passed several quiet and happy years. But finally we were both surprised and captured by a band of American sailors, who had penetrated to this distance in the forest in search of ivory. They treated us kindly, and carried us miles and miles till we came to a river, where other sailors were waiting with a boat. In this we embarked, and after rowing for several days came to the mouth of the river near which their ship was waiting for them in the confusion of boarding my husband managed to make his escape he flew back to the shore calling to me to follow him but alas i was too closely guarded and i never saw him again he was a very worthy parrot and a kind husband though sometimes greedy in the matter of snails the parrot sighed meditated for a few moments with her head on one side on the virtues of her departed lord and then continued my life on board was a very pleasant one petted and caressed by the sailors i soon lost my shyness and became once more accustomed to the society of men i learned english quickly and could soon whistle yankee doodle and 
three cheers for the red white and blue one phrase i objected very much to repeating polly wants a cracker i disliked crackers extremely and could not endure the name of polly but for some time i could not get anything to eat without making this stupid remark one day i received a shock which nearly caused me to faint i was sitting on the taffrail watching two of my particular friends joe brown and simeon plunkett who were splicing ropes they always spliced better i noticed when my eye was on them they were talking about some adventure in the forest and suddenly i caught the words golden nose-ring i had been half dozing but this roused me at once and i began to listen with all my ears how many ears has she growled the woodchuck in a low tone twenty-five replied the raccoon in the same tone they are invisible to idiots which is probably the reason why you have never noticed them how did you get that nose-ring asked joe brown you have begun to tell me once or twice and something has always stopped you were there many of them lying around i shouldn't mind having that myself judge of my feelings when simeon plunkett before replying pulled out from the breast of his flannel shirt a huge golden ring set with jewels the identical gold nose ring which had caused the death of my lovely princess i shuddered and came very near falling from the taffrail but composing myself i listened eagerly and heard simeon tell the other how as he and his mates were returning to their boat he had been with a second exploring party sent out from the ship they found a well and stopped to fish in it to fish in a well interrupted bruin what did they do that for to see what they could catch replied the parrot what do people fish for in this country the first thing they caught was the body of a young woman with this golden ring in her nose her feet were up and her head was down and altogether simeon said it was very evident that in stooping over either to drink or to admire her beauty in the well the weight of the ring had overbalanced her and caused her to fall in when i heard this news i flapped my wings and crowed to the great astonishment of the two sailors my enemy was dead and paul petty avenged my joy was great and i wanted to thank simeon plunkett for being the bearer of such good news so i perched on his knee and sang him the sweetest song i knew a song which had often brought tears to the eyes of my lost husband but he only said princess they all called me princess i should observe if any other bird made such a row as that i'd wring its neck the americans i find have absolutely no ear for music we reached america after a pleasant and prosperous voyage after that my adventures may be told in a few words joe brown presented me as a great treasure to the captain's wife mrs jeremy jibb but i found her a most unpleasant person to live with she kept me in a cage a tin cage me the favorite companion of the princess royal of central africa she fed me on crackers called me polly all the time and treated me in a most degrading manner generally if i had been a canary bird her manner could not have been more insufferably patronizing after enduring this life for several weeks 
I managed to make my escape one day while Mrs. Jib was cleaning my cage. After a long flight, I reached this forest, in whose pleasant retirement I have remained ever since. Here I find society and snails, both of excellent quality, and with these what more does one require? And here I hope to pass the remainder of my days. The parrot's story, with the various pauses and interruptions, had occupied a good deal of time, and when it was finished the party broke up, promising to reassemble on the following day. Before they separated, Toto asked, as usual, who was to tell the next story. "'Tell it yourself, Toto,' said the wood pigeon, and all the rest chimed in. "'Yes, Toto, Toto, tell the Toto next should story. tell the next story. Toto, Toto should yes, tell the next Toto, story. Toto.' So it was settled, and they all shook paws and departed. End of chapter 4